I'm Kate Daniels. We have a major crisis going on with our youth. It is youth suicide. It is tragic to think of these young lives lost. This morning, in meeting David Downing, the COO of Yes Youth Eastside Services, I want us to hear the twofold message of the crisis and of our role in making a difference, having that opportunity to support the work of Yes to help our youth. David Downing, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Uh, good morning, Kate. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, as it is, even though this topic is is really a challenging one, but it is such a critically important thing to talk about our youth, the challenges that they're facing so much more greatly these days, and ultimately the rates of youth suicide, as we're going to find out, have really begun to get to crazy levels. So you work with youth Eastside Services. So you have really a finger on the pulse of that. You come into contact with this probably more than you would want to, but you're the ideal person to give us an insight. Well, I appreciate that. I have experience and perspective. There's lots of folks out there, um, and I'll do my best to, to give you my insights about it. What I can tell you is that in general, nationally, regionally, and really locally, we have seen really significant growth in mental health issues across the board for all demographics. There has been a 24% increase, actually, in suicide rates on a national level. And if we start looking at, you know, more local issues in terms of feedback that we're getting from our young people through Healthy Youth Survey, which is done in the 10th and 12th grades, we really see the idea of suicide being something that kids are now really thinking about much more. We see that one in five in those surveys, kids have talked about seriously considering it, which is a real a real change. It represents that there's a real culture change that's going on with young people. And we know that it's actually looked upon actually as a solution now. Whereas before, it's something we just we really didn't see with, with young people. And who we actually see having suicidal thoughts or being really uh, having taken actions around suicide, it's really, really different. So we historically had kids at that level that had traditional traumas and kids that most of us would think of as that may get to that extreme of needing help kids with past traumas and significant things that have happened to them and the like. And those kids are still there. And in addition to that, the culture has been so reset. And over the past 10 years or so, we've just seen this really changing, evolving growth in mental health issues, particularly around anxiety and depression. And usually those things often happen together. And those are the things that really are these drivers around what we're seeing around kids being suicidal and suicide rates increasing. You know, I've been in this field for 30 years, and it has only been evolving in the last 10 years where we have just seen this significant change. And there's kids being lost in the community to suicide and and drug overdose. There's things in the culture that just right now are really not working well for young people and I think that's, you know, that's those systemic causes are the things that are so important to look at on a macro level, like what can we do as a community? And then there's those things 
on a more micro level, what can we do within our own families, you know, as parents to help our kids? And so here on the east side, because it is, yes, youth east side services, where we could, you know, in a broad sense, think of the east side as more affluent or at least more well-to-do, so we shouldn't be having these kinds of challenges, and yet that is not the case. That goes back to the changing, you know, demographics of really who it is that we're seeing with mental health issues. As I indicated earlier, we still see the kids that we have always seen that are at that more really strong, acute level of mental health issues that we have concerns about in that way and would have suicidal tendencies. And those kids are the ones that teachers and other adults could just point to and say, let's get this kid some help. Increasingly, what we really know is that there's been some significant changes in youth culture and in affluent and high-performing schools, and there's research that backs this up. There's a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation report. There's a National Academies of Science study that recently have come out, and it demonstrates the trend that we've seen. It backs it up in the sense of kids that are in these kinds of high-pressure environments actually are having the same psychological impact of those that come from traditional, you know, kids that we would see. So it's they liken it to poverty and abuse and those kinds of factors that kids have. And so what's happened is in the mental health system, we have seen this rapid growth and this overwhelming in terms of people that are needing help in the system. So we have kids that traditionally would have needed help And we had this entire growth of new young people in families that they may be supportive parents. It's not that issue. It's the overwhelming culture that's actually surrounding kids. And we all play a role in that. You know, it's it's not there's no one to blame. I mean, kids are doing far more in schools. The standardized testing that came in way back with No Child Left Behind. They've changed that standard, but still standardized testing is really, really big and very, very stressful on kids. We've got kids that feel that to be successful, they have to perform at the top level of everything. So you can't just go out and do rec team at school. You've got to be on a select team to be able to really be at the top and be able to be on the full varsity team, those kinds of things. We've got social media, which we know has really had a great impact on kids. So technology, and there's really direct research that shows the impact of smartphones and depression level increases. So you've got this trifecta of those three areas of things where these kids just, there's a level of overwhelmedness. Their brains are constantly turned on, and there's this comparative psychology of what does it mean to be successful? And it comes from the expectations that are there with schools and parents who are fearful if their kids don't perform at certain levels, they're not going to be successful. And if not, they're not going to get into college A, and it must be college A. And in youth culture, they have adapted that same kind of perspective. And it's not that anyone's to blame. Everyone's trying to figure this out, and our, our local schools are really working to figure out how we have more trauma-informed environments and the like. And so I just want to really make that that clear. It's like there's not a blame issue here. It's an issue of trying to figure out how do we, as our culture here in the east side, work to make something be different about this. Huge national trends are going on. 
but here in our community, we can actively do things to change that. And that's the thing. We need to think in terms of where we are and what we can do here, because if we think a big picture, it can just overwhelm us. So we have the need here. There's opportunity to get involved. This is all about information and education. And thinking in terms of that, as you're showing how things are shifting, especially in this last decade, David, in terms of numbers, just so we can kind of get a sense of it, would you say um, actually even one child lost this way would be really tragic? But what would you say statistically the number would be? I can't give you the most clearest like in terms of countywide, and I've tried to get those numbers, and those are challenging. What I can tell you is that as we go into a school year, we used to not lose kids. It was very rare that we would. And, you know, I would say that we, to either suicide or drug overdose, and drug overdose is often really connected to kids that are self-medicating to mitigate their mental health issues. It could be 7 to 10 in the greater east side within a, a year. And those are the ones that are more known because suicide carries with it often where there's shame within families, sadly, because there, there shouldn't be that. So the numbers could even be greater because there's kids that we lose, but we don't know that's the actual cause, you know, of their loss. Exactly. So that, as I was saying, even one child lost is a tragedy. We're just talking 7 to 10 in a school year. That really feels like a huge number, and it is. That's a huge number. And I think that if you go, you know, behind that and take a look at also the kids that are not successful at doing that, but the kids that are at really acute levels with their mental health around anxiety and depression that are really driving some of these rates, the number of kids that are at such high levels of challenge and pain is so much higher than what it is that we, you know, had seen previously. And so there's this fuller story of the systemic issues that really are driving those losses that itself, those numbers and those numbers of kids that are in great pain and needing needing help is also such a part of the story. So in the cases that you see that will come to Youth Eastside Services, um, ha- has it been a process? Are people feeling like, oh, things have gotten so bad, I'm finally coming, which is good if they finally do? Or will people kind of see that Will families see there's an issue and seek help? We have a lot of challenges in our culture around mental health stigma and seeking help. What tends to happen is that people come more often at extreme pain points, so at points of crisis. And that's one of the things that we've really tried to focus on is more prevention upstream kinds of activities. Like how do we get it so that parents have this knowledge and plug in? Families are really busy. I know I'm a parent of two kids, and unless something's right in front of us sometimes, it's really hard to really recognize of how important this is to us. But I would say that the really important thing for families to understand and know is that having behavioral health, so issues of mental health and substance use, really talked about in the family on a regular basis, and having it just be a normal part of culture is really an important thing to do. Even if you don't see that it's something that is relevantly important, we all have, we all have mental health Mm -hmm. and there's at times where the life circumstances around us 
can crush us, and that's when we have a mental health crisis. If we're talking about it and having open lines of communication with our kids, then it makes it so that it's an okay thing to talk about. And talking with our kids about issues of mental health or suicide can be really, really a frightening thing to do because if we learn information that they are, that's really, really frightening. If our kids come back and tell us that they've thought about suicide, it can make us feel out of control as parents. And we see this, of course, more with teens and the challenge of going from parenting young kids where you have so much control of their lives to when they're teens, you don't, and it can feel really, really frighteningly out of control. And it's just so really important to change that family culture and to be able to have conversations with kids. And it's it's awkward. I mean, we're not really taught well to have conversations about emotion and feeling and the like. And I would just really encourage people to work towards across that barrier. And there's and there's different ways to do that. So one, you can have a nar- narrative conversation where you're talking with your kids, even though they may be looking down and thinking, I don't really want to talk to you about this, folks, <laughs> which, you know, was, I get that. You know, there's the the whole thing of teens where they're really moving away to be independent individual and wanting to not necessarily always have the support of their parents and they look to their friends. But having narrative one-way conversations as a way to open that dialogue is great. Technology has had such a challenged impact and in negative ways. Well, use it in a positive way. You can tell your kids things through text if it's really hard for you to directly tell them that. And I'll tell you, kids have their ears open to things even if they don't respond. So if you're having a one-way narrative conversation, they're taking it in and really making sure that our kids directly know that we care about them and we are thinking about these kinds of things. And if you have any sense around suicide, just directly ask. There's a long-standing kind of mythology that if you ask somebody about suicide, it's going to put that seed in their mind and it's going to create it. Well, that's actually not true, and research really shows us that Directly asking that question does not encourage that, and it's a really great preventative tool because if we can find that out, then we can step in and do things that we need to as a family and get help professionally, you know, if that's what's needed. Perhaps for in a family where a young person is potentially thinking that having the parent ask the question will maybe pull down that barrier and make them aware that, oh, maybe I can say something. Maybe I can share what's causing me some anxiety that makes me think that. Would that be the case? Absolutely. And if you think about going to your own most pain point, if any of us can do that, of a time in our lives where maybe we didn't think about suicide or maybe by history we all did. I was a young person. I had a time where I did. I didn't have a plan, but, I mean, I did. If you can think of a real pain point time in your life, and really call up what it is that you want to have happen, right? Like what would have really helped you in that situation? Someone asking you about that, someone listening to you and not being judgmental about it, somebody that can really just hear what it is that's going on with you and having reassurances that you're cared about and we're going to figure this out together, you know, whatever that looks like, you know. And perhaps talking about it, if we hear it uh in the news, this just comes to me, hearing it in the news, hearing about it in some community across the country, to talk about it with our youth so that we don't, that would, by not discussing it, maybe puts more of that stigma on it. Yeah, it absolutely 
does. Ignoring the conversation does not help it get better. And if there are things that are happening on a national level and there's coverage or a local level, even if there's been a loss by suicide, checking in and talking with our young people is really important because there is a factor of suicide contagion is what it's called, which is if there is a loss by suicide, other you know, folks hear about it. So the young people hear about it and kids that are kind of on the line where they've been thinking about it, it makes them at higher risk or kids that have had prior traumas and the like, it makes them more at risk to see that as an option. And so it's really important if that is out there to be having those conversations with our kids. And so just kind of stepping back to how parents well-meaning, well-intentioned, are perhaps part of the issue when we talk about kids, you know, feeling this need to get into college A rather than college B and the high performance. How could we as parents then really address this? I think it's really important to look at our kids individually and what it is that their capacity, the kind of their aptitude is to do. Kids are asked to do a lot and they think that they need to be in the AP and the IB, the college level types of classes in the high school. And all of those things unto themselves are not a bad thing. And there's some kids that can take on a lot in that kind of a way and do really well. And that might not be the right track for some kids. Mm -hmm. It may be that they can do one AP class and that's an okay thing. It's right-sizing and really thinking about what it is that we want for our kids And ultimately, we want our kids to grow up and to be happy. So the definition of what success looks like, does that mean that they get into, you know, college A and Ivy League college? Doesn't necessarily really mean that. I mean, I can tell you from my own family experience, I have a brother who does not have a four-year degree, uh, worked many years, high-level Neiman Marcus, has very high-paying jobs, has a lot more houses than my one, and he has a lot of success. And I would really, you know, just challenge folks to think about what does success really mean for you, you know, with your kids. And it doesn't have to be college A. There's college B, C, D, E, right? There's so many options for kids and roads for them to get to success. And it's not always about college. Kids can have trade schools and, and other options for ways that they can find success and be be happy but we've created this sense in our culture and we're all we're all players in this and not intentionally but it, it's something that just has evolved really since there was such an emphasis around test scores when they did the no child left behind many years ago and again as they've they've switched that standard around but it's still test scores are really you know a big aspect of that and really thinking about okay what for my kid what is their app aptitude? What is their capacity to do in a way that keeps their life balanced? Life balance is a really important thing. And in general, we as adults don't even do that very well. We often are very fast paced and moving and our heads plugged in. We're on our smartphones plugged in to work 24-7. And this is a new experiment. All of this technology and our plugged inness to technology and our plugged inness to social media, <clears throat> this is all new. We We know that there's outcome issues with that with kids in a lot of different ways. 
this comparative psychology of things that are on social media that show everybody's life is just this panacea of great, which I guarantee you there is nobody, even if you go and they have this, the, just the most just beautiful presence on, on social media, everybody has challenges and issues that are going on. And we need to right-size, you know, the reality of what life is about. Life has adversity to it. We have good times and we have challenging times. Teaching our kids that is a really important thing. Teaching our kids that life is not perfect and learning to be resilient through difficult times and how you navigate that is such an important aspect of it. Because, again, competitiveness and doing these, you know, college and the high school and all that, all unto itself, these things are not bad. It's all about the relative skill of what is right for our individual kids and within our families. Right. And being able to have conversations. They don't have to be long, but if we could regularly just have that happen spontaneously or maybe sometimes in a planned manner, but yes, to have those channels of communication. Absolutely. Lines of communication with our kids is so important, and in the teen years, it's really important. And I... I encourage things to be a little artificial where it's actually really, really planned out. And it doesn't mean that you're going to have the family meeting on Monday at 4 o'clock. It means that you as a parent say, okay, within this week, I'm going to have this conversation with my kids and think about what that might be and have it be around issues of emotional health. And again, it's, it doesn't have to be scientific. It needs to be natural, and all families are different. Some families may talk about these things more than others. But being really intentional and just having that goal and making sure it is that you're doing that. And again, if you can't have that conversation in person because you yourself you know, weren't necessarily taught the skills about how to do that, you know, it can be awkward. But it's so important to do that. And ultimately, like I said, you can use text do it by text. If you can send information in that way and your kids can see it and hear it from you, that's still an okay way to do it. You know, Use technology, which is challenging so much to all of us and can have a detrimental effect. Use it in a really, really good way. It's a great way to have uncomfortable conversations or at least to, as a way to open them. Yes, open them. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're having some challenges, we want more information because we know we all are, are needing to be more uh, better informed. Uh, there is a wonderful opportunity coming up here in the very near future with uh, with YETHS, with Youth Eastside Services, in a great fundraising breakfast. Yes. Every year we have our Invest in Youth Breakfast, and it's a great opportunity for people to come learn more about us and our programming and to financially support the important work that we're doing in the community. And on March 18th is our next one that's coming up. And the theme of it is Rediscovering Hope. And we will actually be addressing youth suicide throughout the program, especially with our keynote speaker, Kevin Hines, uh, who himself uh, attempted suicide. And he has now become a best-selling author, documentary filmmaker. He's an advocate for mental health and suicide prevention. And I think with him as our keynote I think it's going to be a really great experience for that, too. We also have client speakers that come and speak about their recovery and their experience around these things. It's a very transformative experience to come in and to hear the work that's being done. Exactly. So to attend the breakfast, I think all you need to do is register to be there, right? Yeah. If you go to www.youthesideservices.org, it's on our top banner of our page currently. 
right now. So that's a really great way to do it. I also want to note that if anybody has more information that they want to get in terms of, of around suicide and issues with their kids, that you can go to youthesideservices.org backslash prevent suicide. And we actually have a resource guide that you can download to learn more specifics. And it doesn't hurt to just check that out, just to have that information, because we never know. It doesn't, it might not be our own immediate family. It might be a a friend's family. It might be some chance encounter when we're commuting that we meet someone. I would say that my experience is that most families are having at one time some kind of mental health crisis with their own kids. And if not, it's one of their friend's kids. So being as smart as we can really about these things uh, in the general public is a really good thing to do. We offer youth mental health first aid classes for for parents and other adults. And um, I encourage people to look at that on our website. But they're, they're offered throughout King County too. So if not us. There are lots of other folks that are doing that. It's an evidence-based practice curriculum that gives a really good foundation for people that have youth in their life to really understand youth mental health in general, how to support youth, and also around the issues specifically around suicide. And to underscore the invaluable uh part of this in our lives, the need for it, is because we really need to take away, peel away the stigma that's been attached for forever around mental health issues. Yes. Um, I also serve on the board for, for NAMI Washington, which is the National Alliance for Mental Illness. And stigma is such a huge issue that we see you know, of course, across our country, and it is definitely something that's locally. People believe that issues of behavioral health, of mental health, and substance use somehow make us weak if we have them, um, that there's something really negative and that we are perceived in a negative way. And we need as a community on a larger scale to really push back on that. Talking in our families is a good, you know, micro-level way to be able to change that. But having these bigger conversations in our community really about that is a really helpful thing to try to change the perception of that. Attending these classes and really understanding that and being an advocate out in the community and talking with everybody that you can really about what's going on with young people and so that people get that this is something that can be really applicable to really pretty much anybody. Anybody that has young people is at risk that they their kids at some point could have a mental health crisis of some kind. It's not about that. It's not a great family. It's not about that their kid's not a great kid or that their kid's weak. We all have mental health. And in, in, in the circumstances where just certain life factors all line up, we all can get overwhelmed and we can have a mental health crisis. And It's okay that we can have a mental health crisis. It's okay, just like as with physical health, we wouldn't judge it if our kids, you know, had cancer and they needed help. And as a cancer survivor, I can say, you know, it's like I never had shame around that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I myself went through a period of depression after I had my cancer. And I did feel shame about going and getting help. And I'm in the field. It was many years ago. I don't have that now. But it's still something pervasive in the culture of that there's something wrong with behavioral health. You know, if you have issues around mental health and substance use, 
that there's something inherently wrong. And we've got to change that, that narrative because we all have mental health. Yes. If we're living and breathing, we have <laughs> We mental have mental health, health yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's just been such an inspiration, David Downing, to have you here with us. Uh, you really bring such important perspectives and opportunities for each and every one of us. And I do appreciate what you do in our lives and who you are. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate appreciate the opportunity to be here, Kate, to be able to get this information out to the, the general public. It's such an important message and information for people to know. So thank you. You're very welcome. This is Mandy Ringenberg with a Sunday morning shout out. This week's shout out goes to Washington Outdoor Women. Washington Outdoor Women is an education program by women for women. Their mission is to teach traditional outdoor skills to women and girls, and by doing so, prepare and encourage them to become good stewards of our natural resources. By developing a deep and satisfying connection with nature, understanding outdoor ethics, and growing personal confidence, women and girls become stewards of and advocates for our natural resources, ensuring that wildlife and wild places in Washington State will be here for future generations to enjoy. WOW, for short, holds numerous workshops for beginners and experienced members in specific activities, including one-day and weekend-long workshops. You can become skilled in many wilderness activities, including archery, freshwater and fly fishing, backpacking, waterfowling, shotgun, map and compass, survival skills, Dutch oven cooking, outdoor photography, and much more. Want to get the kids involved? There are workshops perfect for that, too. The pre-wild workshops offer girls ages 8 to 13 years of age the opportunity to pique their interest in the outdoors, build their potential, and learn valuable skills along with an adult wilderness mentor. Women will connect with the younger generation and help guide them toward a deeper appreciation of wildlife and wilderness know-how. Skills offered at the workshops will include archery, camping, gear fixing, horseback riding, fire and shelter building, and more. Check out what kind of workshop you want to get involved in and sign up today. Donate or register online at WashingtonOutdoorWomen.org.